everything and every person that is put into our life, it's meant to lead us towards Vaheguru. Whether it's somebody that hurts us, that leads us to God, whether it's somebody that we love, we love that person, so we need to recognize the amount of love that we could receive from Vaheguru. Welcome back to another episode of the Rahal Podcast. Today, uh, we are joined by spoken word poet and writer of Fokari from the Bay Area, California, Harman Kaur. We're so excited to talk to you today. How are you? I'm good. Thank you so much for uh, the Rahal Podcast team for having me. Uh, how are you? I'm doing well. I'm super, super, super excited to talk to you today about your writing journey and Fukadi. And I just want to say I absolutely loved your book. I absolutely love your work. And I know that so many of us on the team are like so excited to hear you talk about your book and your journey. So yes, I'm so excited to get into it today. Thank you for having me. Of course. Okay, so a f- little thing we do on the Rahal podcast at the very beginning is we're going to play a little two truths and a lie game where uh, I have been sent three facts about you and two are truths and one is a lie. I'm going to have to guess which one is the lie. Um, So the three facts I have is that Mm -hmm. it took you nine months to write this book. Um, You own 22 Fokari Junis and your favorite color is purple. Okay. Hmm. I feel like purple is true because the Fogati cover is purple. <laughs> it's, it's pretty obvious, yeah. <laughs> so that was, I'm going to say that's the truth. Nine months, from what I've heard, is a very small amount of time to write a book. So I'm a little skeptical of that one. But mm-hmm. 22 Fogati Jinnies, I feel like that's acceptable. We all need... <laughs> a good amount of Fulgari in our closets. Uh, yeah. Hmm. I'm gonna say the lie is it took you nine months to write the book. So can I tell you? Yes, yes. Okay, so um, it's actually, it did take me nine months to write the book. Yeah, um, I, I, I've actually written about it in the foreword. Um, but the 22 Fulgari to me one though, I mean, I feel like it was supposed to be a random number, but funnily enough, I have so many Fulgaris. I've never counted. There could be 22, there could be more. So maybe they're all kind of truths, but we'll just say that one was a lie. Okay, okay. That sounds good. I, I think but I think 22 plus Fulgari Janis is good too. So. It's a good, it's not that much, right? It's, no, of course not. <laughs> Okay, so to get into our conversation, um, so first of all, I just want to start off super general, and I wanted mm-hmm. to ask how you first got into writing, and how did that eventually morph into writing your first, um, your first book, Bukhari? Uh Well, from a very young age, I was a big bookworm. Um, in grade two, I was reading at like a grade seven, eight level, and I remember being this little seven-year-old who found the books that my teacher gave me and to the rest of the class too boring and too easy. So I remember this to this day, 
my teacher handed me a copy of um, the first Harry Potter book, The Philosopher's Stone. Yeah. And it changed my life. And after that, you know, the next one, the next one, I beca- I'm still a big Potterhead. But mm-hmm. I've heard somewhere that the best writers are good readers. And mm-hmm. for, the, for the first part of my life, reading was everything to me. I would collect books. My mom would find me in the middle of the night reading with the little light on and tell me <laughs> to go to sleep. Yeah. And eventually, it just became where I thought I could write after reading. And I would write like little stories. And mind you, I was still pretty young at this time. I would write songs. Um, and eventually around my teens, it kind of like, I decided that poetry is what I love to do. Mm-hmm. And that's how I started writing poetry. And that's what eventually blossomed into Fukari. I am also a huge bookworm. I think I had that shared experience with like my parents telling me, okay, it's time to stop reading now. Yeah. <laughs> Time to start doing some work. But that's amazing. And then I wanted to ask specifically, why did you choose Fulkadi as the title? I know you kind of get into that within the book um, Mm -hmm. and through your phases, uh, the phases of the book, the parts of the book. But um, why did you choose Fulkadi for your title? Um, I've always been a very colorful person. Um, I've always loved color. And I mean, you can see that all throughout the book. And even physically, the book is super colorful. Mm -hmm. Um, And when I started writing, I knew that it was going to be something that was for Punjabis and Sikhs. So I wanted the name to reflect that. And um, so I, I fell in love with the name Fulkari. But I needed to work on it a little bit, and as you've seen in the chapters, all the chapters kind of revolve around the name Fulkari. I wanted to make sure that I could make it work as a theme, and once I realized that I could, I just stuck with it, and I'm so glad that I did, because I feel like it's really unique, but also I feel that when a Punjabi person sees it, they gravitate towards it more, and so I'm so glad that I chose to go with that name. Yeah, for sure. It was one of the first things I noticed. I was like, this is such a pretty cover, such a pretty title, and it was already kind of alluding to the representation I was going to see within the book, so Mm -hmm. yes, I I loved it as well. And then, just in general, because this is your first book that you've ever written, so in general, what have you, just briefly, what have you really liked about the process? What have you found hard about the process? And what have Mm -hmm. been, like, the immediate responses after you've released Bukhari? Um, so I loved, obviously, the writing part, um, putting it all together, seeing which poems go where. Um, what I think was the, the part that I disliked the most was probably Mm -hmm. like the editing, um, having poems that I found actually didn't fit in anywhere and having Mm -hmm. to leave them out, um, you know, or even like second guessing throughout the editing process, like, does this poem belong here? Is this poem even good enough? So, um, I think when it comes to editing, um, that is actually like the most meticulous and most like Mm -hmm. difficult part of the whole process. So when it was over, I was really glad. But I mean, the response has been amazing. I mean, so Fogari was actually released Mm -hmm. five years ago. Um, And when it first came out, um, the response was amazing. And I feel like the reason being is that six specifically, I feel like we just don't get a lot of representation um, especially in, um, I would say, mainstream media, especially in books. 
Um, and I feel like people were just mm-hmm. grateful. Um, and they would thank me, but in reality, I was thanking them for actually, like, you know, giving me the chance to be able to create something for our community. So I feel like it was just this mutual, mutually, like, gratitude yeah. on both sides. That's, I feel like, I feel like that's the best way that I can describe what the response yeah. has been. I, this is actually a perfect segue into what I wanted to first talk to you about, because this is definitely how I felt when I first read your book. I, you know, like I said earlier, I am a huge bookworm. Um, you know, my family and I are always searching for like media and content that's not that, you know, we can connect to. And it's hard, like, you know, it's hard to find things in like the Western world that we can kind of take Bantic values from or like, you know, share with our our peers of how can we spread Bantic values and then we don't see it reflected in our media and our content. And, you know, it kind of leaves us at a loss of how do we express ourselves, you know, so this totally, mm-hmm. totally, when I first picked up this book, I was absolutely shocked at just how well it kind of mirrored the experience of a Punjabi Sikh god living out of Punjab. And so just overall, I was shocked in a great <laughs> way that, you know, I had finally seen this representation. <laughs> so, and then you actually kind of speak to that at the very beginning of the book. I read this first page of this book, um, so right after your foreword, and I was like, oh my god, this is going to be great, that said, I will not translate my experience, define my trauma, justify my femininity, or limit my creativity if the poem does not send an ache of familiarity throughout your body on the first read, it was not written for you. And like, that was immediate chills on my end. And um, so I just wanted to ask, because this is like the first page after your foreword, so why did you kind of add this disclaimer and what is it mean to you because that's the first thing your readers see your audience sees what does it mean to you to put that right at the beginning so it was actually kind of a manifestation of growth in myself so when i first started writing i was under the impression that i would have to basically write in a way that every single person who picked up my writing would be Mm -hmm. able to relate to it And that was a way in which I was hurting myself and hurting my creativity because in reality, the the identity we have as Sikhs, like our font is nara, right? And so that actually means the exact opposite. It actually means that there are very few people who are supposed to be able to relate to us and supposed to be able to understand us. So there was a turning point in my life when I slowly realized that I was doing myself and my people a disservice by creating work that was pretty shallow and when it was supposed to be universal, it was not a representative of who I am as a person and who my people are. So that poem basically is supposed to signify that this book was created for a specific people in mind. It was for mm-hmm. Punjab B6. And, you know, if if you pick up this book and you can't relate, it doesn't matter because it wasn't written for you anyways. It, it was written mm-hmm. for my people. Um, so, I mean, years later, I reflect on this and I kind of refer to it as a love mm-hmm. letter to my people. That this whole book was for them and for nobody else. Was it kind of hard to let go of this sort of idea that you know like you know my writing is going to be for everyone i totally understand like what you're saying is that it's hard to communicate 
your message truthfully when it's not everyone else's truth, you know? So was it hard to kind of separate your those yeah. two mindsets? It is. And um, if you think about how we live in like a capitalistic society where every decision made is to make sure that there mm -hmm. are more sales, I feel like this was this yeah. is going the opposite way, right? You see this book, you see this book online, you see it on a bookshelf in a bookstore, and you're you're not a Punjabi or a Sikh. Uh, so the reality is that, you know, like most people in this world are not going to look to this book and be like, mm -hmm. oh, I want to buy that, right? So it's tough separating those two things, separating yourself and then separating this, you know, capitalistic mindset as well because i feel like it's entrenched mm -hmm. within us because we live and we were born and bred yeah. in this society so it, it took a lot to kind of separate the two because in the book i mean you've read it and there are even words in gurumukhi right there are words that are punjabi words that people from other communities might not be able to understand so i had to put all that aside and just be like no i'm doing this and i'm doing yeah, it my way sure and i definitely definitely i really admire that path and i really admire that drive because there's not many people who are willing to to direct their craft that way so yes 100% really admire that yeah and then <laughs> uh kind of wanted to shift into you kind of already answered this question but I wanted to skip to page 83 you talk about the fact that that you don't really mind if you know the Punjabi Punjabi gods aren't really seen or depicted in our content because it's not the depiction that is accurate it's not the depiction that really represents our truth um, so then you say, you end this poem beautifully, you say, I will write my own story. And I know you kind of already alluded to this um, in the previous question, but was there any kind of turning point that made you think when you were younger or, you know, recently that made you think that this is my kind of path that I'm going to take? Yeah, so I mean... As I mentioned, I was a bookworm and reading hundreds of hundreds of books and not seeing myself in them. And I remember as a young god... Um, there were a few things that I really held on to um, and it made me realize how important representation is. So for example, um, when I was younger, there was a movie, an animated sick children's movie that came out mm -hmm. and it was called Sundri. I don't know yeah. if you've heard of it, but oh my goodness, my <laughs> whole identity revolved around that character. I mean, I would watch that movie over and over again. I had learned all the shubs throughout that movie. And it came to a point where, like, anytime I would dress up in Bana, my dad would call me his sundari. So, like, I, I embodied her within every yeah. aspect of my being. And, and then I thought about it, like, years later. Like, that one poorly done animated movie, like lit up every fiber yeah. of my being uh -huh. as a child. So I thought about all these little gods, right? And how they were growing up in a world where they were not seeing themselves. So I just wanted to create something mm -hmm. for them. And that's literally why I decided to do, yeah, do it my way. for sure. I totally, totally relate with that. I was, that is really, really great. I've actually never seen the movie, but I have to see it now because I've, <laughs> I've heard of the story, but yeah, now that no. you say that I have to see it. Yeah, it was yeah. amazing. So then I wanted to kind of delve a little bit deeper into... Because I think throughout Fulkari, you really stress the importance of telling, of course, all Punjabi Sikh story, but specifically the God, the story of the God, the story of the Punjabi Sikh God. And I think, again, 
it's very unique to kind of see that narrative through poetry and in books in general. You have this really beautiful poem on page 40 called Gor, and you describe Gor, uh, Gor as a liberation from the systems and hierarchies of the world. And I think this was such a great kind of message because I remember I was sitting in like, I think it was like a workshop and someone said to me, you know, you know, God is my last name because anytime I receive any accolade, any award, that's the second, that's what's right after my name. And I know that whatever I just achieved, whatever I just accomplished, it belongs to my mother and my father, Guru Gobind Singh and Mata Sahib Kaur, you know? And I think that mm-hmm. when I read this yeah. line, I immediately connected back to that, to that sort of, mm-hmm. to that experience that I had where it's like, you know, this name of God has been given to us so reminds us that we are part of a bigger entity of you know the Khalsa Panth and I think that's so important I think it's exactly what you were mm-hmm. saying in here so I wanted to ask you if there were any kind of times while writing Fulkari or you know just within your life anytime you really felt that the name of God really did liberate you from the rest of the world yeah I mean I feel like so the world is always just gonna be mm-hmm. what the world is right so I mean it obviously continues to uphold systems of oppression, continues to uphold sexism and racism and all, all the what we call mm-hmm. systems of oppression. So when Guru, Guru Gobind Singh Ji Maharaj gave us Singh and God, I mean, one of one of the reasons was to get us removed from mm-hmm. the caste system, right? I mean, because Punjabi last names have yeah. caste connotations, right? You'll have some random auntie come up to you and ask mm-hmm. you what your goat is just so she can kind of infer what your caste is. So that liberated me from that huge system of oppression that is still such a big deal today in Punjabi society. But what it also did was it prevented a god from having to take her husband's last name right so instead of taking instead of getting married and taking on another man's last name you are keeping the name that was bestowed upon you by your guru and i think that is really really beautiful and the way that i have experienced this liberation is not really outward because I'd be lying if I said that just because I'm a god it means the yeah. world is any different but it's been more mm-hmm. it's been more inward for me it's been more you know positive for my self-esteem it's it's been how I carry myself throughout the world so while sexism and and um, racism and all these things still exist I am able to navigate them differently i'm able to hold my head high because i know who i am i know Mm -hmm. what my guru made me and that's how it's helped me navigate the world yeah wow that's really impactful i think to hear you know because sometimes people would just you know say like you know like i've had multiple times where like i'm in school and another another girl will have the last name god and they'll be like you know a teacher will be like what does it mean and i used to just be like oh it means Mm -hmm. you know warrior it means princess or you know whatever but it really mm-hmm. has a connotation, really has a history, really has a meaning that, you know, you're going to have to sit down for if you want me to explain it to... <laughs> oh, <laughs> yeah, sure. 100%. And I think of, and I think of all the women that I shared mm-hmm. this last name with, and it just, it just fills me with pride, and it makes me realize that, you know, even if I could be a percentage of what those women were, I would be so happy with myself, and it's such an honor 
to share that last name. For sure. And I love how you kind of use that God experience throughout the book because it just, it it, it holds this name that, you know, Guru Gobind Singh Haji has given to us even more to a higher regard. So along with just the sheer representation of God stories, another thing I really thought you kind of focused on was the role models that shape us as young Sikhs, young Gauj, or just Sikhs in general throughout our life, um, and how to kind of deal with negative influences, how to reap the benefits from positive influences. And you have a really beautiful poem. I'm gonna call all of them. I'm just gonna say beautiful, great at the like. That's my adjective <laughs> for every single one of them. But um, uh, on page fifty-three. Um, you have a poem called A Consolation. And this was something mm-hmm. I hugely, hugely connected to because I've definitely felt this sort of disconnection with the Sangat that's immediately around me where I felt that, you know, we're not always going to have the same opinions. We're not always going to have the same connection. We're not always going to be going in the same direction. And sometimes that's been really hard for me to understand that it's just not going to work. Like right now, it's just not going to work. I'm not going to have constant, you know, like stimulation of Sangha. As much as that would be amazing to have, it's just sometimes it's just mm-hmm. not possible, you know? So and you then mm-hmm. you talk about you talk about, you know, that that's not always going to happen. But then you also talk about, you know, in lieu of that, along with finding that Sangat, steer yourself towards Barney. And I think that's a, that's a, a point that's not brought up very often, wherein, you know, of course you have to connect with Sangat, but Barney, Gurbani, that comes within the connection with Sangat. So I thought that was super important. And then you mm-hmm. also talk about along, and then through connecting with Barney, you will um, connect with your Guru. And I think you know, people will think that, you know, positive and negative influences, like whoever I hang out with, it's not, you know, I can separate myself from the people I hang out with. But sometimes that's not just, that's just not the case. And I think that you really Mm -hmm. encapsulated the importance of finding good Sangat, but also using that Sangat to connect to Gurwani, connect to Guru. Um, And that was kind of, that was kind of my take on the poem. But I do wanted mm-hmm. to know that because because you stress the importance of turning to guru uh, turning to guru sab turning to barney mm-hmm. um what kind of what shabad specifically or what kind of barneys do you or gurbani talks that do you kind of go back to when you're contemplating is this the true sangat relationship for me is this a sangat or is this the relationship that's going to bring me closer to guru sab yeah no i mean um for me, I mean, there's a Gurbani Tuk when we talk about Sangat and it's a Bindipa Ga Satsang Nalabbe, right? So even in terms of the Sangat and the Satsang that you get, it all has to do with Bog, right? It all has to do with your Karam. And some people, unfortunately, do not have those Bog to even find yeah. Sangats their whole lives. So even in that, we think we are in mm-hmm. control, but we're not. It's all due to Maraj and their blessings. Um... There's a lot of Gurbani talks, and forgive me, um, you know, if I, you know, say anything wrong, but um, when I think about people, right, Sangat mm-hmm. is just people, and people are not perfect, right? Mm-hmm. People are not the Guru. Sangat is Guru Roop, I believe, but it's not going to be perfect. Um, and when they disappoint you, 
there's a Gurbani Tuk, I think it's Mitr Kanere Karthaki Mera Tuk Kata Koi. And it basically just means that you, I've grown weary and exhausted of looking towards mm-hmm. friends, hoping that someone will be able mm-hmm. to ease my pain, right? You have friends, you have family. We rely on people who are also suffering in their own ways to be able to help us feel better. And sometimes they do. But it's yeah. super temporary, right? It's It has to do with materialistic things. Um, so why not just leave mm-hmm. all that, right? And sometimes you feel isolated. So I think about this Gurbani Pankti. Tu kahe dole praniya, to drakhega sirjan haar, right? Why, why do you mm-hmm. get sad, right? Maharaj is always there. So... I think this concept of Aung San Sahai, the fact that like no matter where you are, Maharaj is always there, it really helps me connect to Bani because we need to submit. And I'm not saying I have submitted fully, but when you realize that Maharaj is you, is the next person, is everything that you see, I think it makes it easier for you to navigate any sort of feeling, whether it's sadness whether it's anger whether it's grief and that's why it's so important for me that bonnie become comes before anything else in my spirituality for sure and i don't think that point is emphasized enough truly i don't think so because i think you know we enjoy our time in sangat but when it comes down to it you still need that you know barney as your center barney as your rock because that's not going anywhere you know mm-hmm. like those yeah, yeah so whereas not- these kind of relationships, as you were saying, very temporary. They're focused on materialism. Mm-hmm. And that kind of yeah. shifts into my next question. And I wanted to ask, because it's so hard to kind of... It's hard to kind of, you know, maintain Bonnie as your rock. It's it's so much easier to just talk to people and connect with people. For some people, it's much easier to just talk to people and connect and have a conversation and leave and mm-hmm. never think about it again and then go back and have a conversation with a different person. Mm-hmm. So how do we prioritize finding relationships that lead us to Barney, lead us to Guru's love over these very, you know, great, amazing, but temporary relationships. I'm under the impression, and honestly, like, I just want to, you know, say that everything that I say is just my personal opinion. You know, I'm, I'm not the perfect six, so everything should be taken with a grain of salt. But for me, I don't think you need to separate mm-hmm. those two things. So the reason I say this is, a couple years ago, I was talking to this thing, and we were talking about our, you know, our worldly relationships, whether it's your parents, whether it's your partner, and he was talking to me about his wife who was far away, and he was talking about how he misses her, and he said that it's super important to have these worldly relationships because they give us a small glimpse into what a relationship with a guru could be like. So, for example, he was missing his wife because she was Mm -hmm. gone, right? And this separation from his wife gave him a little glimpse into what separation from God feels like. He was so sad that his wife was gone, but he couldn't even imagine the grief he would feel if he recognized that he was separated Mm -hmm. from Vaheguru. So I think that... Everything and every person that is put into our life, it's meant to lead us towards Vaheguru. Whether it's somebody that hurts us, that leads us to God. Whether it's somebody that we love, 
we love that person so we need to recognize the amount of love that we could receive from Vaheguru. Everything and every person that is put into our life, it's meant to lead us towards Vaheguru. Whether it's somebody that hurts us, that leads us to God, whether it's somebody that we love, we love that person, so we need to recognize the amount of love that we could receive from Vaheguru. Hmm. Vaheguru, right? So that's my perspective on it, is that everything that we receive, everything that we encounter in this world, it's a stepping stone to Maharaj. Wow, I've never, I've never heard that. I've never heard that outlook before. But yeah, that's beautiful. <laughs> I think, I think it's different. You know, it makes it makes it seem maybe a little bit more tangible to kind of have those relationships yeah. and still be on the path to mm-hmm. meet Guru Maharaj. You know. Mm-hmm.